Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, where we'll be studying this evening Romans chapter 6. We left off in verse 15. We are going to review a little bit, so we'll pick up at verse 1 and read through and then pick up in verse 15. So how many of you, your kids went back to school Monday? Yeah? How many of you, their kids are still on break? A few of you. How many of your kids are out of the house? All right. You seem the happiest right there. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, We thank you for salvation, uh, which involves being forgiven from sin, but also delivered from the power of sin. And we pray tonight through the work of your spirit and, and your word that we could come to understand the nature of sin and Lord also come to understand how you have set us free. We thank you for the truth of the words that we sang tonight that you've set us free. Lord, we all have areas of struggle. We have areas of, of sin that has involved in our lives. And we pray for victory in those, in those areas and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about freedom from sin. And all of us as believers, we have different areas of sin that we struggle with. And as we look at the grace of God, the grace of God applies to our lives to bring about justification. We're freed from the penalty of sin. We're forgiven by the Lord. But God's grace doesn't stop there. Also, God's grace is active in our lives to be able to bring about the freedom from sin. It would be nice if the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, if our sinful nature just went away, that we no longer had to deal with temptation, we no longer had to deal with sin and deal with failure, but we know that that's not the case. We're going to deal with our sinful nature until we go home to be with the Lord. I think that Romans chapter 6 is one of the best chapters in the Bible in dealing with sin and applying God's grace to the specific areas of sin. I'd ask tonight that you would open up your heart and open up your mind tonight for the Lord to bring about victory in your life. Maybe a long victory, maybe slow, it may be quick, but to believe in your heart that there can actually be change, new patterns in your life. Because a lot of times when it comes to these areas of sin, we're hopeless and we just approach it like there could be no change. I've tried before and I've failed, so why would I try again? What, what would be different this time? And for you to open up your heart to say, God, even though I've struggled with this for 20 years, 10 years, five months, whatever the case may be, I believe in your power to be able to bring about transformation in my life and applying these truths. So there's three words in Romans 6 to focus on. And the first is no. And it's K-N-O-W. A lot of people, when they're talking about overcoming sin, it's no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Condemnation and shame. And that's not the focus. It's not no, 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 but it's no. K-N-O-W. No. And so several times in this chapter, the word no is given to us. And it begins our journey with the mind. There's truth that we need to understand, learning that happens in our mind. And then the next word is reckon. And this is not just a down south, well, I reckon. I reckon there's going to be freedom from sin, or I reckon Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. You know, 
reckon it's time for some deep fried chicken. I reckon I better get on a different topic, right? So it's not that. It's actually a mathematical term where you're reckoning, you're reconciling, you're looking at the information and you're responding to it. And this is where the heart gets engaged, where the mind has been engaged, but then the heart is engaged. And then the end of the chapter, which we'll spend most of our time this evening, is to yield. It's our will. You'll see the word present given many times. So there's no, there's reckon, and there is yield. Let's look at verse 1, and we'll read through and make a, a few highlights through verse 14, and then get to verse 15. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The end of chapter 5, let us know that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Sin and the law bring death, but grace in Jesus Christ bring life. So knowing this, that when we sin, that God responds by giving grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, would we then respond to this lavish gift of God's grace by continuing in sin? The question is answered with, certainly not. In the old King James, it's God forbid. No way. We're we're not going to take God's grace and then just continue in sin. Grace is not a license for sin. Grace is the means and the motivation for holiness. When we've been touched by the gift of God's grace, it melts our hearts to where we say, God, I desire to live a holy life. But also, God's grace gives us the means, it gives us the strength, it gives us the power to live a transformed and changed life. So we go on into verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Charles Spurgeon said this about sin. He said, I've never seen a dead man wrestle. What he means by that is before you knew Christ as your Savior, you were dead spiritually. The scripture tells us that. And when you're dead spiritually, you don't wrestle with sin. Maybe you remember before you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, there was no conviction. Maybe it was a foul mouth. There was no conviction over. You never wrestled with a foul mouth. Maybe it was anger. You never wrestled with losing your temper. It was just a a way of life. Maybe it was lust, and there was no wrestling with, with lust. And then you came to receive Christ as your Savior, and all of a sudden there was conviction. And all of a sudden there's that wrestling inside of you, and that's a good thing. That's evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. You're no longer dead spiritually or alive. And that's what verse 2 tells us. If we've dead to sin, how are we going to live any longer in it? The Holy Spirit's not going to allow us to be comfortable in sin. Verse 3, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So here's this word know. Really put our minds upon it. That we were baptized with Christ into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So this is very important when it comes to overcoming sin in our lives and the power of sin to be broken is for us mentally to picture ourselves buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. That's what water baptism is all about. That's why water baptisms are such a celebration because that's already taken place spiritually. The moment that someone receives Christ as their Savior, all of their sins, past, present, and future, were buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. And then when someone gets baptized, they're saying, I'm identifying with this. I know that all my sin is buried with Christ 
and I'm risen with newness of life. And we've got to remember that. We've got to know that. We've got to speak to ourselves and say, you know what? You're a new creation. That's the old life. That's who you were before you knew Christ as your Savior. That's your old man talking. Not your old man as in your father, but your sinful nature. Your sinful nature is trying to get the best of you, and you remind your sinful nature you're dead. You're buried with Christ, and you're risen in newness of life. This is God's perspective of you. He sees you justified. He already sees you declared righteous by God. And the power of sin has been broken. It's buried. So think of that struggle that we brought in tonight, and we all brought one in. Something we're ashamed of, something we're wrestling with, something we're not proud of. And do we picture that sin or that struggle as being the dominating force in our life and hopeless, or do we picture it as that's buried in Christ? It's buried. That's the deepest burial that you can possibly find. There's no deeper burial. Never to be brought up again. What's brought up instead of our sin? It's newness of life. Christ is risen and we're risen as well. And so it takes great mental effort, but it's worth it to focus on that truth that we are buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. We're united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It's his resurrection that gives us the power over sin. In verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Again, it's knowing. It's putting our minds on this. It's understanding this truth. My old man, which speaks of this sinful nature, it was crucified with him. So picture that. That temptation, that desire, that desire for evil things. It's crucified with Christ. It's put to that, that place. It's nailed to the cross. It's buried with him that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If you were with us in the judges study, do you remember Sisera in jail? Sisera was the general. He was defeated. He comes to jail's tent. And what does jail do? So, oh yeah, you can come in and take refuge. And would you like some warm milk? Remember how we studied? It's probably goat's milk. Yummy. Runny, running hot, sweaty, looking for refuge. Nice cup of ice water would be preferable, but here's this warm milk. What happens after you drink warm milk? You go to sleep, and then she took a nail, and she took a hammer, and she killed him. She's a good shot. She was used to taking up her tent and putting it down, and it's a picture of the nail of the cross, the hammer of the word, and our old man, that sinful nature that says, you're a slave to me, You have to do this. You have to lust. You have to covet. You have to be angry. You have to be bitter. And that's what our sinful nature is saying. And we need to know that our sinful nature is dead. We need to take the nail of the cross and the hammer of the word and say, you're dead, sucker. Bam! I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to give in to that anymore. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. But she applied the nail to the old man. And we've got to apply the nail to the old man, the nail of the cross, you're dead. I'm forgiven. We apply the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. We also need to apply the blood of Jesus for the victory of sin. In verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. So living eternally, but also presently in his power in our lives, knowing that Christ 
having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer had dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And we get to our second word. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our sinful nature continues with us, and we have to remind our sinful nature that it's dead, that we're dead to it. We have to reckon it. We've got to do the math. This just needs to be part of our daily life, our daily wrestling with sin, our daily temptation. If you're wondering if you're going to get to a certain point in your maturity in Christ where temptation goes away, no, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be part of our life till we go home to be with the Lord. So it's really important that we learn to deal with it. It's really important that we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. Sin is very much alive. We're dead to it. Nope, this isn't my life anymore. This isn't my priority anymore, but I'm alive to God. What are some real life daily struggles? We know in the world we live in, pornography is a huge issue. It's accessible like that. So easily access to pornography, whether it's on someone's computer, it's on someone's phone. Maybe it's sexual sin that you're in bondage to. How do I have victory? How could anything be different? You don't know how many times I've tried to be free from this sin. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs. Alcohol is a cruel master, isn't it? And we know there's liberty in Christ. If a person drinks and they don't get drunk, but a lot of times it does lead to drunkenness, it leads to to bondage, and you're saying, I just can't get free of this. I've been a Christian for so long, but yet I always come back to this. I think I can handle it, and before you know it, I'm a slave to this. Is it drugs? You know, drugs has got this domination in my life. It's got this victory in my life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. And the list just goes on and on. Maybe it's thoughts in your mind. It's not pornography, but it's all in the mind. Going, How could there be change and how could there be victory is knowing that the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ, that my old man is buried with Christ. I'm risen in newness of life. And then reckoning doing the math. Okay, I've I've engaged in my mind, but now I'm engaging in my heart. I'm alive to God. Jesus, you've died for me, and I'm, I'm presenting my life unto you. And as we begin this new year, and we oftentimes examine our lives a little bit, maybe even already by January 7th, we're hopeless for real change, because we've already fallen. We've, we've already given up in an, in an area of change. I think a lot of times we as Christians are more into behavior modification, where it's like, I can do better. I, I can change myself where I'm no longer going to be angry, where I'm no longer going to lust, where I'm no longer going to be, be bitter. It doesn't work, does it? We need something more than behavior modification. We need a savior. And so as we look at these truths, these are applying them to our lives. This may be several times through every day, that you go to Romans 6, verse 11, you go, I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this is then how it applies. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're freed from it. So don't let it reign. Don't let it be your master. 
We don't have to be in that condition of, of defeat. God can bring victory in our lives. So we've looked at knowing, we've looked at reckoning, and now we get to the, the bulk of our text where t- Kent left off and we pick up. It's presenting, it's our will. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but you present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So every day, we have a choice to make of what we do with our bodies and what we present our bodies to. And the encouragement, the exhortation is present your members as instruments of righteousness, as being alive to God. Don't present your members as unrighteousness to sin. So we wake up in the morning, God, I give my eyes to you. I desire that they would be holy. I want to behold things that glorify you. God, I give you my tongue. I'm presenting my, my tongue to you. I want my words to glorify you. God, I just slipped. <laughs> I just messed up. I want to re-engage with you and present my tongue to you. I want, I want to give my ears to you. Give my hands, give my feet, give my heart to you. I think we have to re-examine the nature of sin and what sin does. What we'll find at the end of this chapter is the wages of sin is death. It's death. It brings death in our lives. Without Christ and his salvation, it would separate us from God for all of eternity. Deep down we know it, but yet in our lives it's so easy to get comfortable with sin. It's easy to get complacent with sin. And God's saying, come on, I love you. I've given my son for you. I've poured out this, this grace upon you. Now, what are you doing with this grace? How are you applying this grace? Present yourself unto me. Present yourself unto righteousness. Give, give yourself over uh, to the Lord as instruments to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, grace provides a way out with sin. That free gift, that unmerited favor, that God would break the power of sin and he would give us freedom, that he would provide newness of life and, and resurrection life that would come to us. So there's a challenge there in verse 12 and 13 and 14. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you are under grace. Coming to the Lord and applying God's grace in your life. Sometimes God does the supernatural breakthrough in an area of our life. And you hear those testimonies. Someone saying, I was in bondage in these areas and I cried out to the Lord and God took the desire away and I never really struggled in the same way with those things. And then sometimes it's a lifelong journey and a lifelong battle, isn't it? And why does the Lord do that? Why does he bring some victories overnight and other victories come gradually? Because I think sometimes he's building up our spiritual muscle. So sometimes we're going to have to take these truths and we're going to have to go after those strongholds that have been allowed in our lives through Christ and, and his strength and abiding in him. Okay, God, I know this. I'm, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to you. My old man's been buried. I don't have to listen to that old man any longer. I'm reckoning. I'm reckoning the old man to be dead and I'm, I'm alive to God. I'm doing the math. I'm remembering it and I'm applying it. I'm presenting myself to you. God, I desire to be an instrument of righteousness. It's, it's a yielding. But notice it's a product of grace. It's not a product of the law. Holiness doesn't come through the law. Law, by its very nature, brings rebellion. 
It's through grace and relationship, knowing that God loves us and he's given us his son that wins our hearts and wins our lives. So verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. So the first question in verse 1 was, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace would may abound? So can we just justify a lifestyle of sin? And then verse 15 says, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? So underneath there, this kind of this attitude of going, well, I know God's going to forgive me. I know, I know I'm under grace. So, so why don't I just continue sinning? And once again, the strong question of certainly not. This, this is the question that's addressed in Romans 6. It's the grace of God that provides that desire and motivation to live that holy life. Sanctification is not a departure of grace, but it's grace applied to our lives. So verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Paul's going to use this illustration of slavery to show his point about sin. Slavery was very common in the Roman Empire. They were very familiar with slavery. Some that would be receiving this letter to the church in Rome, no doubt would be slaves. And when you were a slave, you didn't have the choice to choose what you would obey in or what you would disobey in. It's very hard for us to understand the concept of slavery because thankfully we've never lived under it. But when you read historical accounts of slavery, even in our own country, they were your master. That was it. You, you, you were signed your life over unwillingly. Your life was taken from you. It's maybe one of the worst things that can happen to a human being. And if you didn't obey, there was absolute brutality. And so it's this concept of slavery where what we're seeing in verse 16 is you're going to choose a master. You're going to choose something to present yourself to. And here's our choices. And again, it's this question of knowledge. Do you not know that whom you present yourself to, you're slaves to obey? So here's the truth. Here's the truth of scripture. That if I present myself to sin over and over in any given area, eventually that's going to become my master. And that's going to control me. And it's going to lead to death every single time. So it starts off with a little bit. Starts off with giving into a particular area in a, a small fashion. And a lot of times when we first begin, we think, I've got control of this. I can kind of use it for my own benefit. And I've been working hard and I kind of deserve this. And I get the results that I want from this. Or we're not even thinking at all, but we, we give in in a small way. If we don't repent, if we don't turn around, if we don't get right with the Lord, we don't acknowledge it, well, that's going to grow. Sin never stays small. Satan would like us to think so, but sin always grows. And notice what it says here. It says, whether one slave, sin leading to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. So sin's going to lead to more sin if it's not repented of, and righteousness is going to lead to more righteousness. So we get to choose our master. We can say, I'm going to have the master of sin, or I'm going to have the master of righteousness. When you start walking in righteousness, it grows into more righteousness. Haven't you found that to be true? You start allowing God to deal with one area of your life, and eventually that overflows to another area of your life. And before long, it's not a question. 
You know, it's not a question whether you're going to lie or not. Because you've already established, I'm going to follow righteousness. I'm going to follow, follow Christ. It's not a question if you're going to commit adultery or not. You've established that. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted, but you've established it in your heart. And when that opportunity comes, it's like, no, I've, I've already committed in my heart. I already have decided in my heart. I, I'm giving my life to the Lord. I'm committed to righteousness. So we're going to choose our master. Every time we present ourselves to either sin or righteousness, we're choosing our master. And the results are very different. Look in your scriptures in verse 16 in your Bible. One's leading to death and one's leading to righteousness. Verse 17, I love this verse. But God be thanked that through you, but though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So prior to knowing Christ our Savior, we didn't have any hope of getting out of the bondage of sin. Sin was always going to be our master. Sin was always going to reign over us. But when you trusted in the doctrine of salvation, the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, the gospel's huge. The gospel's applied to our lives on a daily basis. Then we're no longer slaves to sin, and we actually have an option to not sin. Isn't that wonderful? The power's been given to us where we can actually make a choice now not to sin. We need to be reminded of that and with dealing with people that don't know Christ as our Savior. Sometimes we expect all this morality from people that don't know Jesus. I mean, they, don't, they don't know Jesus. What do you expect them to do? They're slaves to sin. The only way there's going to be righteousness in their life is for them to meet Jesus, to know the grace of God, to forgive them, and the power of God and the grace of God to change them. I think a lot of times we're trying to transform sinners when we need to introduce sinners to a Savior. Does that make sense? They're discouraged. They're beat up. It's like, you know, Jesus forgives you. He died for you. And Jesus has the power to change you. I think people that don't know Christ as their Savior, they want to have healthy relationships. They want to figure out how to do marriage. They want to figure out how to get along with their kids. They want to go to bed at night and have peace. That can only happen through Jesus Christ. And so we can't come to them and say, hey, you know, you really should get all your morality together. You know, you, you, this is what you should, should really be committed to. It's like, do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand the love that, that he has for you? It's the belief in Jesus Christ that set us free, that we're no longer slaves from sin. In verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So here's the flip. So prior to knowing Christ as our Savior, we gave in to sin over and over and over again without a choice. But now, slaves of righteousness where Christ is my master, where I'm going to choose. It's not an option any longer. I'm committed to the things of Christ. In verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Paul is declaring, this isn't a perfect illustration. This illustration of slavery, it's the best that I could come up with with human language. I feel this a lot of times in trying to communicate God's truth. Here's this amazing truth. Say, for instance, the truth of heaven. Trying to think of an illustration of heaven. And it's like, well, please forgive me. It seems like a a really base illustration, but this is the best that I could come up with. And I think Paul's kind of in the same boat here. He's like, this is the truth that I'm trying to communicate, this freedom from sin. I'm using this illustration of slavery but it's limited through human weakness. It's limited through language. So he continues on in verse 19. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. This is where the will gets engaged. We've got our mind knowing the truth, our heart that does the reckoning, and now our will. We have a choice. We present ourselves. It's a choice. This isn't something that's real comfortable for us to hear. Because when we choose to sin, we choose it. We walk in it as believers. It was a willful choice that we make. And what the exhortation that's given to us in verse 19 is to present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness. So notice here in verse 19 that the lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. And then the righteousness, it leads to holiness and it leads to life. You'll never regret holiness in your life. Have you ever regretted holiness in your life? Wasn't an easy choice. Was difficult, but it leads to life. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. What do you think that means? What does abundant life look like? Is it an easy life? It's a holy life because holiness is wholeness. It's a wholeness that you can't buy at Whole Foods. It's a wholeness for your soul. Nothing wrong with Whole Foods, but that's only exterior. I think a lot of people are looking for a lot more at Whole Foods than what food can provide. At the end of the day, it's still food. And we're ultimately longing for Christ. We're ultimately looking for Christ. And it's only him that can provide that. This is worth it, church. This is worth it. Well, what's this area that you're wrestling with? What's this area that makes you want to run in the midst of this study? Saying, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to look at this. I've experienced so much defeat in this area of my life. Well, here's what the scripture says. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Believe what the scripture says. That sin, that struggle that we wrestle with, it's buried with Jesus. There's risen in newness of life. Reckon the old man dead. But here's the truth. If we just give up, the lawlessness is going to lead to more lawlessness. Sin never stays small. Sin never stays in the cage. Sin always grows. It always gets worse. You're saying, oh, I'm tired of repenting of it. I'm tired of acknowledging it. I'm tired of going to the Lord once again. Well, the alternative is far worse. The, the alternative of saying, you know what, well, I'm just going to give myself over to it. Well, well then that's just going to lead to more sin. A little leaven affects the whole lump. You think God gets tired of us coming to him going, Lord, I blew it again. I failed in this, this area again. I need to apply the blood of Jesus afresh in my heart and life again. And the Father goes, oh, I know, I know. I've been waiting for you to come to me. I've been waiting for you to long to come to me. I've been reading the Gospels recently, and it's amazing to me how Jesus gave some profound answers when he was asked. Like, for example, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus talks about the end times. That came out of a question from the disciples. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Luke. We wouldn't have the Olivet Discourse if the disciples wouldn't have asked. I would think that was really important information that Jesus would have made sure to tell them, but he didn't tell them until they asked. They were in the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the Gospels tells us Jesus would have passed them by. 
He was walking on the water and he was just going to walk on past them if they would have not cried out. A broken and contrite spirit God will not despise. But may we not get to that place where we're so hopeless or calloused where we say, I've just resided to this area of sin. I'm no longer going to struggle with it. I'm no longer going to answer conviction that comes with it. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to justify it in my life. Then that's going to lead to more lawlessness. That's going to lead to more, more death in our lives. But the opposite is true. Present yourself as members of slaves of righteousness. Okay, God, here it is. I'm going to do this. Through your power, applying what you have done for me, this is my area of struggle, but I'm now presenting myself to righteousness. Men, it doesn't matter how many times throughout the day we need to recommit our eyes to the Lord in the area of lust. Do it. Do it. Allow your phone to become a place of worship instead of a place of sin. Don't allow images to be on your phone that don't glorify the Lord and make it very practical. God, I'm presenting my eyes to you. Men and women, let's not settle for junk on our TV screens, on what we're streaming or what we're watching. See, my my eyes belong to you, God. This matters. It's important. I'm, I'm turning my eyes away from you. This gets really practical when you're at the grocery store. I can't believe the stuff that they put at the grocery store. It's like, there it is. Trying to get my mind and my heart to go in a direction that doesn't glorify God. What do we do? Turn away from the rack of magazines. Don't stand there and stare at it. Don't stand there and, and be, go into that place and go into that moment. That's, that's the reality of this. Whatever the area of struggle is. And bitterness can be a really strong master, can it? And it just replays. They've wronged you. They should have never treated you like this. How dare they? You're better than this, and you're going to have the opportunity to, to set things right. Say, God, I'm wrestling with these thoughts, and I'm presenting my mind to you. I've got to put my mind on you, Christ. I've got to think of Christ upon the cross where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We all have those areas of struggle, but allow the Spirit of God to get in tonight to say, you know what? Christ's death and his resurrection is real. Apply it. If we can apply it for salvation, we can apply it for an area of struggle for our sin. Amen? I feel like the Spirit of God to all every single one of us in this room tonight is saying, I want in. I want in. I don't want you to justify this anymore. Take my word seriously. See what I can do in your life. But we've got to stop and listen and say, okay, God, can't hide from this any longer. You see and you know. So I'm turning it over to you. I'm receiving your forgiveness afresh. I'm confessing it to you. And now I'm beginning again. God, I'm going to present my mind to you. I'm going to present my eyes to you. I want to speak very frankly. Men, I think through the power of God, we can live our lives without pornography, without masturbation, without cheating on our spouses, Single men, you can live in sexual purity so where you're not going around sleeping around before you're married. God can bring the power of cleanliness into our lives if we will turn to him. This idea that we have to be slaves to sexual sin, it's not true. We don't have to, boys will be boys, and this is just what boys are going to do. Christ has the power to be able to set us free. Women, whatever area in your life, It could be in this area of sin. 
sexual sin and lust. Man, God can set you free. It can be in the area of bitterness. God knows he can set us free. But for us to get to that place tonight to realize it's possible. It's possible through the power and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my closest friends that's moved to Missouri, I'm so thankful for him in my life because years ago he challenged me and said, don't settle for partial victories. And what he meant by that is a lot of times in our Christian life, we go so far and we go, well, I'm so far further along than I was before I was saved. But we know we're still giving in to an area of sin in our lives. And God's saying, no, I want you to go all the way. And it brings us to a level of brokenness because we get to that point where we can't do it on our own. We say, Christ, it's got to be you. It's got to be you in my life. And we take these truths and we say, God, I want to walk it out. I want to yield to you. I don't want to continue in, the, in this area. And when it comes up and we fall, we're quick to repent, give it over to the Lord, and get up and get going once again. Present yourself to righteousness. In verse 20, when, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards of righteousness. So before we knew Christ as our Savior, there was no righteousness in our lives. We were slaves to sin. We were free in regards to righteousness. In verse 21, what fruit did you have in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So think about that for just a moment. Before you knew Christ, even as a believer, what fruit is there in the things that we're now ashamed of? We all have things that we're ashamed of. Before we knew Christ, and even as a Christian, and there's no fruit in those things. There's no life in those things. The end of those things is death. You need to think accurately of your life of Christ your life before Christ, a life of rebellion if you knew Christ. A lot of times we look back at a season of sin and we go, oh, that was so wonderful. I was really having a great time. Well, you may not have remembered what it was like when you woke up hungover and banging against the walls. You may not have remembered the kind of heartbreak that going from relationship to relationship involved and giving yourself to this person and giving yourself to that person. You may not even remember, I may not even remember the kind of jerks that we were. <laughs> you know, just how difficult we were to be around and what fruit that that brought about in our lives. We need to see it accurately. We need to remember it accurately. There's no fruit there. There's no life there. Only death. And verse 22, but now having been set free from sin, there's this, con this contrast and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So at the very core of this illustration of slavery is this issue of surrender. And I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of times for us on a daily basis is we're fighting with God to give him control of our lives. Agreed? And when I'm in that place where I'm wrestling with God, those are the most difficult days. But when I surrender and I take my place... And my place is slave. Jesus, your master, your Lord. And so that means I don't get to have this diplomacy in my relationship with you. Where God, I get to pick my circumstances. I get to pick what I like. I get to pick what you want me to do. I get to pick the sins I get to get rid of and the sins that I want to keep. This one's really bad, but this one really works for me. So I'm going to keep this one. I like this one, but you know, I don't really like that one. None of that. It's God, I'm a slave to you. I'm surrendered to you. You're my master. I don't get to choose. I live to do your will. And it's in that place of surrender 
that the freedom comes. So as we're slaves to God, we make that choice, we present our will, then the fruit of holiness begins to come and the end is everlasting life. It's life. It's abundant life. Speaking of Jesus from the book of Hebrews, it tells us that he was anointed with joy above all of his fellows. So holiness does not mean this lack of luster in life, this this lack of joy in your life. I think a lot of times we picture holiness that way. Well, I'm sure glad that I came on this snowy night and got my can kicked about sin. Now I don't get to have any fun. No, that's not holiness at all. Holiness is the apex of fun because it's being able to enjoy life without doing things that are damaging to your relationship with God and your relationship with others. It's going to lead to life. 